Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of Grow a Soul. Today I'm catching up with Catherine Ho, a coach who helps untangle self-doubt to bring creative dreams to life. When we first met Catherine back in episode 28, she was just about to start her coach training. She was figuring out how to combine her coaching services with her art practice and feeling like a little bit of a fraud. The last two years of seeing Catherine organically journey to find her flavour of coaching, understand and deal with her own self-doubt and the self-doubt of others, and learn to work intuitively and in tune with her body, all of which we discuss today. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for coming back on. Since February 2019 was the last time we spoke. Yeah, that was an era ago, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Qu- quite a few things have happened since then. So let's have a recap of maybe where you were then and what you were doing at that time, what the plan was, and then we can get into how that's evolved since then. I love how you say like what the plan was, because I don't (laughs) really remember distinctively there being a plan, although I'm sure there was. But yeah, when we last spoke in February 2019, I was just about to start my coach training and I was tentatively putting it out there that I might want to be a coach and I might want to help support people on their creative journeys. And I'll be honest, feeling a little bit quite a lot like a fraud that I'd only just really been starting out my own kind of creative journey, but really sensing that there was something there that wanted to unfold, for lack of a better phrase. And yeah, so that's where I was and just tentatively making my way and kind of exploring that. And yeah, putting out the feelers essentially for a response from other, I suppose, other people um, and to kind of explore what, what I wanted to do. Yeah, because the, we also spoke about your art practice and selling your art at that time as well, alongside building a coaching business. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It was, it was, it felt very transitional because I think that's what it was. And I'd, um, for anyone who doesn't know my background, um, I had been to art college. I hadn't had a great experience. I'd ended up leaving, really questioning my creative identity and whether I was really cut out to be creative at all. And I'd slowly, gradually realized that I was kind of hiding a very key part of myself and so just suppressing that for many years. And I was like basically um, the quintessential kind of person who feels that they're not creative enough. So goes it over to manage creative people because they can't do it themselves. And yeah, I slowly realized that that wasn't how I wanted to live my life. But I didn't really have a a magic plan of how to reclaim my creative identity. So I started stumbling about what what felt like I was stumbling about, (laughs) kind of just started painting again, something that I really love, mark making, started tentatively calling myself an artist. And yeah, just going through all that painful stuff that you have to go through when you're kind of having to look again at what you really want and what's really true for you in your life. And yeah, so no surprise, really, that kind of led me into exploring coaching and what that can do for people. A a lot of kind of peeling back things that you've been hiding from yourself. Mm -hmm. So how did the coach training go? I guess is the question. <laughs> it went very well, Kate. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> it was a it was a it was a very like practical foundational course. It was the kind of course where on day one they give you theory and then they say, right, go practice. And mm. it's like, oh my goodness, am, am I allowed to do that? Mm. Don't I need something more um, before I'm allowed to you know set loose on the public? And no, it, it was great. It brought up a lot of 
things and lessons to reflect on, which is, to be honest, the best thing that I could have hoped for. And since then, I've done other coach trainings. So I've actually recently, I've been with Sass Petherick's Self-Belief Coaching Academy, which is turning into her self-belief school. And that's kind of a slight tangent, but also related because that was all about the self-doubt that comes out when you're starting to be a coach and who, <laughs> I mean, pretty much every coach that I've met certainly has has a similar feelings of who am I to do this? How am I able to help people with their problems when I can barely, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, work work out what I'm doing? Um, and that felt like a very natural transition into what I was really interested in. And I, to be honest, kind of the last few years have been me really working out what's my flavor of coaching in air quotes and self-doubt is a huge part of that kind of and all the juicy things that come around with that so self-criticism self-judgment and all the ways that we um i think that tension between when we know that there's something pulling us in one direction and then all the thing all the behaviors that come up to the surface those behaviors and beliefs that have kept us very safe and very acceptable in a certain context and don't work that well for us in our new context. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about this, finding the flavour of your coaching. And so did that start out that you kind of finished the first first coach training? It was like, right, I need to, I need to niche or I need to find my, my thing. Or did it start more kind of unconsciously and then become conscious or like why did you decide I need to find my my flavor that doesn't sound weird and what was that process and is it still evolving yeah it's definitely a great question and that word niche it kind of brings up a lot of reactions in the gut right sometimes mm -hmm, and um mm -hmm. for me it's what it felt like and what it's always felt like is a very organic process I think like, I've, well, like, not going to say what everybody, but like a lot of people I know have looked towards, all right, here's a formula. Let's not, you know, let's um, use the knowledge that other people have gained to to help us figure something out. And to be honest, on paper, you could say, well, Catherine, you already had a niche. You know, your work, you know, kind of who you want to work with. You've got, already got a community of sorts built up around your Instagram and your newsletter in terms of, of fellow creatives and artists. So a lot of people would say, isn't that already kind of niche? But for me, there was a lot of, well, what do I help people with? Am I a business coach? Am I a life coach? What specific problems am I or challenges am I helping people with? Because then we get into that whole thing of how do you communicate the message and the transformation that you were going to give, you know, to help um, support people through if you can't really communicate your niche and, and what you're doing. And I'll be honest, like that process of figuring out what is it that I actually like to do and what am I, what, yeah, what really lights me up. That's a, that's one of those things that you learn as you do. And everyone hates being told to do that. But um, <laughs> what I think is interesting was that watching myself go through that process and the way that my self-doubt comes up quite a lot is the message of, but you don't have enough information. You're not ready yet. You'll be ready when you've got, you know, when you've done some more research or you've taken this course. And I, I imagine this is kind of familiar to quite a lot of people. And it's one of those things that kind of keeps you from taking taking action. And if you're anything like me, you might have another voice of self-doubt that's quite critical. And then it's like, well, it's a little bit beating yourself up for not taking that action. But yeah, it's been really interesting to watch yourself watch yourself go through go through that that process. Mm -hmm. And that's been really interesting. So I suppose in a way that's kind of led me towards uh, a topic, I suppose a niche um, that interests me in particular. One more thing I want to say about niche is that I was I read an article recently and it was it was about writing but it was from a perspective of, an, of a new writer and basically they were saying that instead of thinking of like a niche as like your topic and what you do for people think about the perspectives and lenses that you bring to your work so very specific kind of experience life experiences that you've had or work experiences that you had that will mean that when you put those lenses together you will be quite unique in your approach 
Mm-hmm. And therefore, you can kind of shift and approach different topics or different challenges in a way that feels very authentic and aligned to you, but potentially feels slightly less constrictive than kind of like I must be in this one track of topic and that's all I can talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's so much with that where, as you said, that for, for many years, we've kind of had the template of this is what you do to be successful. And one of those things is have a really clear niche, but it just becomes a corner that you back yourself into if you're not careful. And there's only so many ways to go from it. And my kind of issue, for want of a better word, with the whole niching thing is that it doesn't allow room for your evolution as a human being that mm. the very idea that you can start a business and then in five years time you're going to be the exact same person with the exact same life experience the exact same interest is just like ridiculous mm. and if you're the marketing girl or the art coach girl like <laughs> there's there's not much room to kind of fight your way out of that cardboard box and so I think the idea of the lenses is really nice because you can always take away and add another one and you're still the same person and it still makes sense so yeah I think it's one of those things isn't it it's like I'll find my niche and then that's it forever and ever and I never have to worry about it ever again (laughs) and it's with all these things it's never as easy as we think it should be because there's all this other whole truckload of emotions that come with it yeah definitely it was um one of my metaphors that i use with clients is like i i love a nature metaphor i'll be honest (laughs) and there's a sycamore growing outside in our garden and i don't know if you're familiar with sycamores but they grow really fast. You can like basically like watch them grow like taller day by day. But what really interests me about that is kind of like when you're a young business and you're establishing yourself, it's interesting because you can kind of, you can see like the DNA or blueprint for lack of a better word. And to me, that's kind of like your values and what interests you, but you're, it's going to grow like you know branches are going to shoot off and some are going to kind of grow really robust and really thick and strong and some are potentially going to you know wither and die and and that's fine and you're going to go through these seasons of budding and fruiting and flowering and then again dying back again and it's I always kind of go back to that kind of metaphor when I'm like thinking about when I'm being, when I feel like I can feel myself being seduced by a very neat, often kind of mechanical or artificial way of being. I like to bring myself back to a nature metaphor because they're always very wise. (laughs) That's, and that's such a good phrase of being seduced by it as well. Cause I do it. I like look at somebody's thing. I'm like, Ooh, that looks nice and easy. But it's like, do I want to live a life where that's what I do? And very often the answer is no, because yeah, I do want something more organic and yeah, like I I say to myself at the moment about a lot of things actually in my life is that like it's not supposed to be linear. And mm-hmm. even though I, I talk about that all the time about, you know, having fulfillment in the now and all that kind of thing, you do need to remind yourself this isn't su- actually supposed to be linear. Anytime you're like, oh, I'm falling behind or oh, I've not got progression. It's like, well, yeah, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to be continually progressing. You're supposed to fall back a little bit. Yes. I'm trying to stop myself using the phrase moving forward, which is mm. something that coaches use a lot. But recently I've kind of come to realize, wow, that's quite one dimensional. <laughs> it's quite one dimensional linear of me. And um but I, I like, I totally get it. Like, for example, I recently wrote a newsletter, and it was about the cal, like the calendar, and um, basically using using a calendar, which is a really helpful tool, um, similar to like a clock or a map, where essentially humans have created these devices that will create an artificial intellectual construct so that we can manipulate the world. So we can basically divide our days into specific parcels of time so that we can all coordinate ourselves and do things with it. And they're great. I mean, like they're really useful tools. But what we tend to do or we can find ourselves doing is that we can we can forget that the representation of reality is not the same as reality. Um, there's, a, there's a phrase called the map is not the territory. But we kind of get, again, that word seduced, we kind of 
they're part part of our brain has a preference for that kind of way of seeing the world, which is all symbols and representation and simplified things. It's the part that really likes certainty. And it's like, no, this is how it is. And it will often ignore other information that kind of contradicts that. But we've also got this part of our brain that's much better at appreciating the whole and the now and that kind of what I like to think of as slightly more organic, if I'm not romanticizing it too much. And it's not to say that one is worse than the other because we we need both. It's just that we need to remember that we can shift between these two states and appreciate them. That reminds me of, I hope I get the words right, but uh, I heard Kate Northrup talk about the difference between Kronos time and I think it's Kairos time. That one might be wrong. But where, and I'm also going to mix up which one's which, but I think Kronos time is like a minute and 60 seconds. There are 60 minutes in an hour. Whereas the other type of time is how we experience it, where like five minutes stood in a queue at the bank is a different type of five minutes to five minutes like cuddling a baby or five minutes in a real flow state in a relational time yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and so we we exist in the first kind of time so much more where we're kind of chasing the time so much more and actually like it doesn't exist (laughs) the thing it doesn't exist and we can have this flow state in our work or or in our lives where it's just there is no time and we're just experiencing it and even as I'm saying it I'm finding it hard to get my head around it but I think just I do like that feeling of stepping outside of that engineered time or man-made structures and just kind of be an animal for a little bit yeah it's interesting you say about the kind of like this is slightly mind-bending and it's kind of it's basically like a paradox we can have we can basically experience the world in two different ways at the same time and we can appreciate that both are true you know depending on how we look at it and again it's just about it's often it's it's just about reminding ourselves that that exists and that's an act like an option available Mm. to us yeah definitely something i think about a lot is that the idea that everything that is that humans are unable to understand is like the top level of everything that happens and that there couldn't be anything outside of our perception is laughable and so that I feel Mm. like that kind of helps to open up to just kind of like well everything that I could understand is probably like pretty low down the scale of what's possible so I'll just allow everything else to kind of happen up where I can't perceive it and and I don't really know what I'm doing with that, but it just kind of, it feels like an opening up to the world a little bit more. Yeah. Like I've described coaching and like, this is how I experience coaching sometimes as well, that it's kind of like you're going through doors, but some of these doors, you didn't even know that they existed before. You can't perceive of them until somebody helps you, like points them out to you. And then you get to choose whether you actually go through the door or not. But it's this weird, it's like what you guess is it's this weird sensation experience of, I didn't even actually realize that door existed. Mm-hmm. So we've gone slightly off track, but yes. it's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I feel like we haven't even got to the end of like what you do now even. So <laughs> so the, the you did the initial coach training and various trainings since then and have kind of gone into a sort of more self-doubty place in terms of your work rather than yourself and yeah so how how did you kind of get to the the self-doubt place and and who are you still kind of working with the same people now or what's your focus in that way as well yeah so if you haven't yes if you haven't noticed by now i like to go off on a tangent slightly (laughs) because everything's connected so it'll all come back to itself anyway (laughs) um but i think that the people who I work with have very much, I think, stayed, not stayed the same. That's not the right way of putting it, but mm-hmm. have, there's been a thread, I think, that connects the people that I work with. And I tend to work with people who have a creative dream and who find themselves getting caught up in self-doubt, self-criticism or self-judgment. I remember the first time that I sent like a little questionnaire asking my prospective clients, like, what 
what what are your big you know greatest challenges and i think pretty much every answer included the word lack of confidence lack of self-belief so i always knew that that was going to be a key thread in my work it was just about for me i suppose at the very beginning it was like well how do i approach that and naturally over time it's kind of what i've seen in for myself and obviously what i've learned from other people like sas petherick and others is that it's the mixture of being able to look at where that's come from both from a kind of personal perspective in terms of our personal happened but also that kind of wider cultural narrative of why I suppose this happens and for me that's actually really helpful because I think that for a lot of things whether it's like a, a health challenges or whether it's just the how you approach your work I think we live in a culture that is very much about this is your own personal sometimes deficiency that you have to overcome yourself and what i would say is that the more i look the more i see that it's actually it's about the environment that we grow up in and that we're conditioned in so i think that that for me certainly has been quite helpful like i'm talking about for example experiences with anxiety and depression that can be is a very personal experience but when you look at the wider environment that kind of reduces say connections that people once had to both you know one another communities nature it's actually not really surprising that a lot of people respond in that way and sorry that's me getting off on a tangent again um, <laughs> just, just, just catching myself there um, and so there's that kind of understanding and then there's our personal stories like how have we personally been affected like what are our kind of strategies that we use to make ourselves acceptable whether that's things like say people pleasing or whether that's that you need to be incredibly competent whether you need to be perfect under certain conditions whether you need to put your needs first or last you know just depending on what's worked for you growing up mm. then it's about and this sounds like this is, you know this is a none of this is really easy um but then it's about kind of relating to that relating to these parts of ourselves and understanding oh yeah it's, it's totally understandable that this is how I might think or these are the stories that I might believe this is how I might behave because it makes sense that this works under certain circumstances and it it just doesn't work now because I'm trying a different path and what I find is that we need to rather than just forge ahead on the path and pretend none of that happened it can be kind of useful to be like well where's that resistance that I'm feeling where is that coming from and it's often these stories that are keeping us in a certain pattern of behavior. And through um, practices like self-compassion, self-acceptance, practicing what I love, which is kind of using our somatic intelligence to be like what feels right for me and learning to trust our, our bodies and our feelings again when I'm not the only person who's had this experience where I was taught not really to trust my feelings very much or that they weren't welcome. So there's a lot of to go through and process um, coming back to that. And yeah, so those kind of tools and self-awareness to then be like, huh, this feels so, uh, so that we can get to a place that feels a lot more aligned. Mm -hmm. And the phrase that kind of came into my head as you were talking is that like taking something that we've always thought was a rule and realizing it's an option. Like mm. I have to be perfect. I have to do what everybody else wants me to do. I have to X, Y, Z. It's like, well, actually that's an option, but there's also all these other options of ways that you could like still be an okay human and have more of what you want. And that kind of shift, I think it takes a really long time and it's talking from my personal experience. It's easy to go to, lean back into it being a rule of like oh I have, well I have to do this and it's on so many different levels as well because you can kind of be like well with my family I've now realized I don't have to do what they want me to do but for me I realized as much as I talk incessantly about not doing what you think you have to not doing the shits I got to a point of like, well, this is what I have to do because it's what people expect of me. And I didn't clock that for months. <laughs> and then the other day I was like, oh, <laughs> there it is again. And But I think that's the other thing is that it's 
as you're saying about self-compassion, it's non-judgmental of just mm-hmm. like, oh, not like, oh, that's typical me, I'm awful, but just like, <laughs> there's the old friend back again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. That kind of, as what Sass like, says, she kind of calls it, it's our protector. She doesn't like the word like self-sabotage and all that kind of stuff. It's it's actually, like it, it that behavior is there for a good reason. And if we can relate to that, like I the way that I kind of relate to that part sometimes, certainly the part that's afraid and kind of, because under, underneath there's a rule because um, underneath, sorry, underneath that rule is a, you do that, you must do this because otherwise there'll be bad consequences and, and there's fear there. And I personally like to treat that part of myself as I would probably like a child who was kind of scared and didn't un- fully understand the world and had a very particular perspective on things because that's what they know and it's my job not to patronize or to lie to the child and say it'll everything will be okay it's more about relating to that child and assuring them that it will be okay and that you you know what you might you you might get hurt and you won't die and (laughs) a lot of the time it's that is that kind of reassurance and it's like kind of like oh and once we acknowledge that, and like, kind of going back to what you're saying, it's kind of like practicing that awareness, acknowledging it without judgment. It's amazing how how quickly that kind of resistance can die down once it's been recognized. Like once mm. it kind of goes, right, I've, I've been recognized and my fears have been heard and that's okay. And mm. suddenly they don't feel quite as scary and important and urgent anymore. You know, mm. I was actually reading book called Getting to Centre by Marley Grace and she said in that that it was a chapter about shame and guilt she said my intuition and my body is always trying to tell me things nicely and when I've not been listening it gets louder and louder and turns into shame Mm. where it's sort of like so your body be like drink some water drink some water have a lovely drink of water and then it gets to the point of like you've not drank any water what the hell is wrong with you you're such a failure you can't even drink water enough times a day and it and that's it that it's like tuning in enough to your body and to your the the smaller messages means that you can often give yourself what you need before it gets louder into that kind of beating up voice because as you're saying all that beating up voice is trying to do is get you to do something that's kind of it's trying to protect or it's trying to get you to do something that will keep you safe but just not in a really nice way <laughs> yes the the beating up voice like is often it quite can be quite cruel and quite bullying and yeah i often think of it as it's kind of like going back to that child analogy i suppose kind of it's like i like a child wearing a big scary mask and going well i know that if i wear this big scary mask then Catherine's probably going to do she's going to pay attention right mm-hmm. and that works. So I'll just keep continuing to use that strategy. Whereas, yeah, as you say, it often it's often when we've gotten to the point of basically, this is this sounds quite um, strong, but I've been reading Martha Beck's way of integrity. And she uses she would probably say that we're like, it's basically a, cons- a consequence of lying to ourselves. Basically, we're very good at believing something 100%, but also knowing that it's a lie. So we can mm-hmm. we can believe something that we know mm-hmm. isn't true. And that's and in that way we can go about go about our days kind of blissfully unaware until suddenly one day it's like, oh actually, that's been this way. A very small example I've now realized is that when I come across clutter in my house, <laughs> that I've I've realized that the reason that it kind of causes this slight like tent like contraction in my gut is that I've been lying to myself that I'll use that one day (laughs) (laughs) when I actually have no intention of using it. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that immediately comes to mind is like a couple of years ago, I went and like bought myself a sketch pad and some pencils and I had this sort of, I was stood in the shop like, yeah, I'm 100% going to use these like every day. And I had this kind of out of body me, like the narrator of the film being like, she was never going to use these. Like I knew <laughs> at the same time as I knew I was 100% going to do it, I knew 100% I was not. <laughs> <It's> that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's that really it's like like dissonance, isn't it? It's that kind of where we split ourselves off from like ourselves. That makes sense. Mm. And then we're and if we if we get practiced at that, 
And she kind of says that that happens basically because of trauma and socialization. And if we do that often enough, regularly enough in a different context, we kind of, our, our bodies do have a way of basically tapping on our shoulders really persistently and louder and harder until it's like, no, okay, now I have to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like, now what? What and I've spent so long ignoring it that I kind of need a lot of help to figure out what is <laughs> what it's trying to tell me. So for you, I'm interested to dig into this. How that obviously you've kind of got a lot of understanding from kind of theory and your own experiences, and I'd be so interested to know, kind of on a more practical level over the last couple of years, how this the self-doubt has manifested for you and what it's kind of some examples of maybe what it's held you back from or some kind of challenges you've come up against and it's really kind of shone a light on things for you and and how yeah how your understanding of self-doubt has come to be from your personal experience of it okay so small question yes so for me I, i'm going to root it back yeah. to one of the things that we i suppose cover in the self-belief coaching academy and it's sas's kind of model of the four i'm going to get this wrong um <laughs> it's not the four faces of or this is it four faces of the protector and basically the reason that sas came up with this was that we we often use the phrase self-critic like a, a inner critic sorry but not everyone experiences their self-doubt as this inner critical voice. I'll hold my hands up and say I, I do. That's one of the ways that I do experience self-doubt. So it doesn't actually show up in my business so much, but it showed up a lot when I was at school and I was that typical kind of, I must get the grades because that will mean that everything is okay in my world. I must prove myself. I must be perfect. I must be in control at all times. That's the kind of qualities that um, the inner critic kind of inhabits. And then there's the martyr, which is about putting other people's needs first. So kind of being needed is is very much... um, so I suppose our typical kind of people-pleasing tendencies and kind of you know, putting others first. And then we've got the scapegoat, which kind of goes to like that fear of being overwhelmed and basically the, the fear of taking responsibility. So it's kind of like, this is so hard and everything's really hard for me. And then we've got the bystander. And that's the part that I mentioned earlier, which was kind of the don't take any action. Um, just ha- wait because you don't have all the information right now. I think you need to do a bit more research. So those the bystander and the critic are how my self-doubt manifests and kind of relating what you said about different contexts when I decided that I wanted to run my own business and create something myself the bystander became very prominent which is understandable because there wasn't that structure there there weren't hoops for me to jump through I mean there could there could be but there were there were an infinite number of hoops so how, how do you choose so the, this is obviously the bystander talking here you can you can hear the cat coming out <laughs> and going well, how do I make a decision I, I just don't I, I'm not able to so I think I'll just stand here and wait so that manifests itself in many different ways it can be something really simple just like not posting or not sharing your what you have to say or it's quite good at sounding rational so it will rationalize well you can't possibly say this because you don't know enough about this or who'd want it it's in my experience although it's definitely appealing to my emotions and my fears it sounds very rational and very reasonable so yeah it, i mean it it shows up for and, and basically a lot of my clients um will like kind of identify with this type of behavior as well um, in terms of just the not taking action. And it's interesting because kind of going back to what you're talking about niche, like I I knew fine well, but if I just, (laughs) if I just kind of, I want to say like just cluttered on through and just made lots of mistakes and just did lots of things and just see what stuck, I'd probably be further, in air quotes, further Mm -hmm. ahead by (laughs) now in terms of what's considered an outside measurement of success. I'm sure I'd have more money and I'd be fully booked with clients and all that kind of stuff. 
But I've also kind of learned that I, I I don't regret you know what that's just that's just what has happened I suppose and I've learned a lot what the difference for me is that I've I've then realized well this isn't I'm not enjoying this process even though it feels familiar it's keeping mm-hmm. me in my what I call familiarity zone it's not fun so I want to actually do something about it and what I call I suppose like that kind of inner work of um, self-doubt so your question was kind of how self-doubt manifests for me right mm-hmm. um, <laughs> have I answered that que- question I feel like I've kind of talked around it um, is there anything no, specific? I think that and it's interesting what you just said about being further along and and it's this thing where and I've had it recently where people are like I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and people are like, well, it doesn't look like that from the outside. And I'm like, well, I almost don't care that it doesn't look like that from the outside because inside it feels chaotic and I hate it. And I think that's an interesting, just a little point of that kind of the balance between you can only know by doing, but actually sometimes they're just going and doing it and not giving the bystander a little bit of leash to kind of rationalize things a little bit like it's that can can actually be useful because the experience of just bowling around doing a load of random stuff doesn't actually feel good it feels just like you're bowling around doing a load of random stuff whereas actually having that voice to say well let's just sit back and and work out a few things first makes the experience more enjoyable so if that just kind of spoke to something that has been my experience recently of that yeah I'm like well here are all the reasons why I can't possibly make any sort of change yet which goes if on one end of the spectrum goes way too far but also the other end of the spectrum I feel is way too far because then the experience doesn't become an enjoyable one yeah so um what's really interesting I think when what you're kind of alluding to is that there are I suppose self-doubt can have us or just, I'm not, I'm not even saying it's self-doubt, but we can, we can kind of uh, tend or lean towards certain behaviors that I, that either go, right, let's do lots and lots of things because I have to prove myself and I just, I just need, this is how it needs to be, or let's not do things and wait around. And for me, the crucial difference is in where's that, like, what's it motivated Mm. by where is that coming from so there are some situations where I am I don't want to even say it's waiting but I am accepting that now is not the right time and that feels very aligned and very true to me and there are also times when if I dig a little deeper it's very much a case of no I'm just there's I'm afraid um, and I'm letting and even though a lot of me actually does want to do this thing I'm also letting my fears speak louder than than they need to be. And I think that that is, and it's not easy, <laughs> that case of where, how does that underlying message, whether whether it's take action or don't take action or now is the right time or not, not the right time, is kind of a sense of, again, going back, like for me anyway, like going back to my body and kind of checking in with that. If there's any sense of contraction in my gut, this is quite a simplistic way of putting it, but if there's any contraction, no matter how subtle, then I suspect that that's not, um, sorry, then I'm going to suspect that there's a certain amount of fear involved that's potentially influencing my decision. Whereas I'm still practicing this and getting um, leaning into this, but when I can, um, you know that feeling when you're kind of like at nighttime and you're just really at peace and it's like what I suppose it's very you're 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 quiet and you're just receptive and I can already feel my my body kind of expanding and relaxing and that sense of kind of peace and freedom and just that like deep exhale of going ah like that's that feels good I've learned that if I can tune into that sensation, like that's really helpful in terms of what like steering me and guiding me towards what is a what's a course of action that feels true for me. Mm. Mm. So I love getting into this because I think it's very easy for people on podcasts to say things like, oh, I go back to my body and then listeners are like, yeah, but what what does that actually mm. mean? So 
in a, like super super practical terms is it that like there's a decision to be made you just sit back in your chair and do that expansive like how does yeah. this tapping yeah. into your body work on a super practical level okay so i am going to caveat this by saying that if, if we'd had this conversation six or 12 months ago I would have found it very difficult to give you an answer because I was only really at the very beginning of kind of learning this. So what I will say is that it's one of those things that you really like, it's one of the things that gets easier with practice. But yes, I, I think basically what I just said in terms of, it could be, for example, in fact, yesterday, that I, I've got like a weekly to-do list and there are some things that I know that I will need to do and I'll be honest I don't I haven't got a strict like deadline there's no major urgency and I will essentially check in and I'll go do I want to do that and sometimes there'll be a very visceral and for me it's in my gut like the kind of feeling of contraction that like no I don't want to do that and for most like I'm actually okay with trusting that and 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 i here's the thing because you can then get that second layer off but you should be doing this and there's a bodily reaction to that as well so what i will do is basically check in with like my to-do list and be like right does this thing do i get that feeling of freedom and peace and for me the best way i can explain is that everything just expands slightly i like to close my eyes because it allows me to tune into the sensations going in on um in my body like it's kind of the inner um part there is a technical term and i forget what it is but i can feel that like i will often experience myself letting out a deep breath that i hadn't really realized that was required but it will be that kind of deep exhale and yeah that's like it feels expansive it feels relaxed i suppose relaxed expansive and what i would say is a feeling of being at peace like i don't feel under threat at all i don't have a sense of wanting and i don't have that sense of threat so i'm i'm the reason i'm using those phrases is that there's kind of like these three biological system that kind of motivate human like motivate our behaviors so there's the kind of threat protect system where you perceive threats and you avoid them or you you know navigate them then there's the kind of drive so you're motivated to acquire things get resources food shelter etc and then there's the kind of soothing system which you're basically relaxed and you're content and yeah i find that the kind of that feeling of content to soothing this feeling i suppose is very helpful because you can think quite clearly you're not you haven't got blinkers on in terms of what you should be doing or there's not a spotlight on what you should be doing it's just about it feels a lot more like you've got your peripheral so there's a certain clarity in terms of i suppose distinguishing between say like a want that i should do versus a kind of uh, relaxed thing is um it's actually in that book that I mentioned, The Way of Integrity, Martha Beck, she recommends that think about a time when you wanted something that you were probably being like advertised to, that you were like, right, mm. I must have this. I really want this kind of feeling. And there, there's, there's, a, there's a want there, right? And just basically make a note of the physical sensations in your body, whether it's like a tingling or whether it may be so you might notice sensations in your like in your skin you might notice temperature change you might notice a feeling of contraction or re- relaxation within your body and it might feel like it's in a in a particular location for you or it might feel quite diffuse and just kind of vague like whatever you feel is you know is is, is perfect so note down the sensations and note down any emotions um that you feel and then basically shake off that feeling And then, in contrast, go to that feeling of imagining yourself in bed at night. You're very quiet. And she says, what what do you yearn for? Like, what, what are you yearning for? And for me, when I did this exercise, the first thing that came to my mind was peace. And she kind of does say that most people, whatever, you know, most most people will basically say peace love, belonging, freedom. And then note down the sensations that and emotions that come to you. And they'll 
there'll likely be a contrast between what you experience for both feel, you know, both exp- um, situations. And there'll also probably be a difference in what you're wanting and yearning for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. And it was funny when you said when you're you feel you want something you're being advertised to. I feel like from my kind of sternum, like there's a magnet pulling me. That's I, and I just as soon as you said that, I was like, I feel like oh, like I'm being pulled against my will, and yeah, and I and I reckon that it's kind of I recognise that, and I do try and like I'm I'm very good at not being an impulsive buyer because I I I always am like right, let me just put that away, and if I still want it after a night's sleep, I'll, I'll get it. But um, yeah, that feeling is very it's a very different feeling to when I actually do want something. Yeah. When yeah. I actually do want something or want to join a program or or whatever, it it feels like doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like I'm being pushed to do it. It's like I feel excited about it rather than like oh my god I've got to get that thing. Yeah, mm, yeah. and I, I I love sorry I, I, I love that how you experience that kind of wanting is quite different to how like I've personally experienced a contraction and my gut's kind of like oh I should have this or I should be doing something. But I love that. Yeah, you you're um, you've pinpointed it, the, it, how it works for you. And I think that to anyone listening, like it's not is it this isn't like some sort of um, skill that you wake up one day and go, oh, excellent. I'm perfectly in tune with my body and I know exactly what it's telling me. So it's it takes I think we underestimate sometimes how much courage it takes to trust the sensation mm-hmm. and emotions of our body going back to culture that kind of tells yeah. us not to trust well yeah we as um as women it's well your emotions are all the reasons why you can't be in power have money have autonomy <laughs> like they're the, your emotions are the reasons why you can't be trusted on your own like yeah, yeah that's a whole lot of cultural baggage to to take off and say no i'm going to do the opposite and actually trust it above all else yeah it, yeah and i think for me what's been really helpful is learning that there are other people who exist in the world who actually go no your body is incredibly intelligent and it can be trusted and you can develop this amount you know this really powerful relationship with essentially yours you know you and you don't have to be split off from yourself and divide you know kind of divided but again going back to that door analogy it's kind of like we don't even realize that that door exists mm-hmm. So I haven't asked you any of the questions that I wasn't no. asking, but never mind. <laughs> so what I would like to know is where you kind of see things going from from now and what kind of, I mean, you said at the beginning, last time there wasn't really a plan. Is there a plan now or where do you kind of, what's what's emerging for you? I love the word emerging. So interestingly, I still feel like, I can feel this voice that's kind of saying, right, you should probably be a bit more organized, a bit more structured, a bit more kind of, I don't think it's using the word scaling, but it's that kind of on the horizon, you know, message. And I also think for me, actually, at the moment, I still have quite a lot of room to work intuitively. And I'm really enjoying that because I haven't done that for a very long time. So I actually just really enjoying being able to to create and to express and to yeah, explore in relatively intuitive fashion. So for me, it's kind of following that that sense that you trusting the compass that it will point you in the right direction and basically consulting it on a regular basis kind of going back to that map now do you kind of like being actually that map that other people have drawn out that that's a great map but i'm not sure that i want to use that map but i do have this compass that has really helped you know it will guide me to where i want to go i just have to kind of consult it on a regular basis and accept that it might not take me to some places that i'm like on first glance go am i sure i want to go in there but mm-hmm. i trust that there will be lots of lessons and opportunities and things that will await me in, in that place so mm-hmm. practically at the moment i'm just really enjoying um working one-to-one with clients i might end up doing like a really small intimate group program i'm very much an introvert and 
I think being a lot more confident in going back to that phrase, my flavor of coaching, which for me, it, it's harder, I think. And I'm still finding the language around how I describe that air quotes transformation. It's not a case of I will get you a certain number of clients in a certain and there won't be like a tangible strategy or something that you, you know, if you work with me, that's not how it works. But I'm working with a coach at the moment and kind of he describes it as um, he described it as spiritual osteopathy um <laughs> which or like i'm like or like i say if i go to a chiropractor and basically it's just about shifting your yourself or your worldview just to like a couple of degrees at most but when you do that like everything just feels so much more aligned and everything feels much more comfortable and like you can feel like much more in your home in like in your like at home in yourself and that's what i love doing with clients in my own particular way and actually, as you're talking, I'm like, well, there's a flaw in the question there because it goes back to that kind of linear progression of moving forwards. And like, actually, I think it's really like, of course, there doesn't have to be a thing on the horizon or a, a thing that's next. Like, it's a totally beautiful thing to do to be like, I just want to really bed into what I do and also allow myself to be guided to things that I can't even know yet. I know that's something that I'm trying to do so much more. And I remember in being boss podcast episodes like way back in the day like three four years ago they used to talk about the unexpected extra and that's mm. something I've always tried to be like that that as I was kind of saying there are things that I can't even begin to imagine like me right mm. now is like so far behind no oh, that language again but me in nine months time will have a completely different idea of what is possible for me than me right yeah, now totally so I have to allow the space. I can't just set myself this rigid route of just what I can perceive to be possible right now. So yeah, I love that answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm going to do is read you out what you said last time in answer to how do you grow a soul in your work and life. So you said... It's so much about self-acceptance. It's about being really honest with yourself and acknowledging who you are in your entirety because once you accept who you really are, you can start believing that you can do things. You can start to stand up for what you believe in and start to articulate what you really want because you believe you deserve it. Hmm, that's not bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's quite similar, but what I would say is that one of my favorite structures is um is what a lot of people call like Heather Platt and people call like that, that spiral where you're basically coming around to the same themes, but you're coming at it from a different perspective mm. because you're a different person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it very much that idea of self-acceptance. And what was interesting, I asked myself, what would it look like to grow without soul? And for me, that looks like leaving pieces of yourself behind, like le like denying parts of yourself and basically trying to get over there at the expense of leaving behind parts of you that are integral. So essentially, yeah, growing with soul is, is being all of you and not have feeling that like you have to split parts of yourself off and hack away at your integrity. But trusting that you can it's not even about moving forward it's just about existing and growing in your way in a way that feels aligned mm -hmm. you know and trusting in that sense of peace and freedom and belonging so Catherine where can people come and and find you so i have a website uh, it's catherineho.com <laughs> I, I know very I'm, professional i know I, I, so rarely asked this question. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Catherine underscore Ho underscore. And Catherine is K-A-T-H-R-Y-N underscore. And Ho is just H-O underscore. Thank you so much. Any links that we mentioned will be in the show notes at simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me and Catherine on Instagram. I'm at simpleandseason. And she is at Catherine underscore Ho underscore. If you have a friend who you think would really enjoy this conversation, please do send them the link to the episode and share where you're listening online too. And until next time, I hope you grow a soul 